At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We all have questions, and we're all looking for the answers. But sometimes, navigating the answers to cultural issues through the lens of the gospel can be challenging. Join us for our Asking for a Friend series, where each week we'll answer tough questions and provide you with gospel-centered answers that you can share with a friend. So church, it's, uh, it's always fun to get away for at least a week, and um, I was at a wedding, and the good thing about these weddings are there's always so much sermon material, right? You go down, you hang out with people, and it's joy, but there's also so many things that you can take back and, and remember, and one thing that I loved about this wedding is it was an outdoor wedding, and uh, we started looking, and we saw the storm was riding in. And so here comes the storm, the clouds, it's sprinkling, and we know that, that this is going to hit this wedding, but nobody's calling it. No one is saying a word, right? So we see the, the groom and, and, the, and the bride, and there they are, and they get to the point when they start sharing their vows, and so here's the, the bride-to-be, and she's opening up her paper and shaking and so excited and telling, I loved you from the first moment I saw you, you know, and, and nobody's listening, okay, because we're all looking at the weather. And so we're looking, it's sprinkling, it's getting a little worse, and then eventually it just starts pouring. And I wanted to be the guy who yelled, run. So I got up and yelled, run! People took off running. I grabbed a seat, used it as an umbrella. And it's funny because we remember stories not as much for what goes right, but what goes wrong, right? The best vacations you ever had were the worst vacations you ever had. And so I think about that, and I was remembering the third sermon I have ever preached, I remember my friend came up to me and he said, hey man, just a heads up, uh, could you preach for me tonight? And I said, whoa, 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 what do you mean preach for you tonight? What's the topic? I've not worked on anything. Are you sure you want me to preach tonight? He said, well, here's the thing. I'm going through a major dental surgery this morning and I'm going to be all drugged up and I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> and so I think it would be best if someone else preached in my place, if I knew after I get out of the surgery, I'm not going to be able to do this. And so I'm like, okay, this is crazy. I'm like, oh, okay, I got to sound cool. I got this. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I got this. Cool, cool. Right? And um, I didn't sound like that, by the way. And um, so I said, yeah, I got this. I'm good. And um, so he gets out of his surgery. He calls me up and says, yeah, um, you definitely got to preach for me. I am. And I saw him later that night. He was swollen, you know, and I was like, oh, man, this is I'm so glad he's not preaching, but I'm not glad that I'm preaching because I am nervous. I'm anxious. And so I get right into my dorm room and I'm writing out the message and, and I am trying to figure out what would be best. This sermon was a, a lock-in for students. So we had about 20 youth groups that were locked in to this college and they were staying there from all over that region. It was a big deal, something they did once a year. And so the event got bigger and bigger, and I was like, oh, man, this is, this is not good. And so I started writing, and I remember getting to a point when I knew I needed to head over to the auditorium to preach my sermon. And I wasn't even where close to being done. 
And so I get my notes, my scribbles, and, and I take my notes and I go to the auditorium and I throw on my earbuds. I'm like, okay, I'm super nervous. And so I throw my earbuds on. I'm rocking my Microsoft Zoom. Does anyone remember a Microsoft Zoom? And so I'm, I'm, I'm beating my chest. You know, I'm doing the whole thing, you know, raising the roof. And, and I'm, I'm trying to get ready for this sermon because I am nervous. And so then I get out and I preach a sermon. And I'm preaching the word and I'm, I'm bold but I remember nothing of what I said, okay? I can't tell you the verse or the topic to this day, but there's one thing I do remember. It's that I shared the gospel. And I remember sharing the gospel, walking off stage, thinking, what in the world did I just say? And seeing kids come forward to give their lives to Christ. And in that moment, God taught me a lesson. That my, my crumbs, my preparation, he can do more with that than a thousand sermons. And I remember going back to my dorm room and processing and being like, why was I so anxious? Why? I serve such a big and great God. Why was I nervous? Why was I panicking? What was the deal with that when I have such a good God? And, and I remember in that moment really having to look in the mirror and work through like, hey, I need to stay in my spot because God is God and I'm merely just a vessel. I'm merely just an ambassador. Which leads into this message today because we have this new series, Asking for a Friend. And essentially it's topics that Woodside members, attendees have been asking for. And, and always at the top of the list is anxiety. Is anxiety a sin? Is it wrong to have anxiety? Is it wrong to be so anxious, so nervous, so worrisome that it turns and mutates into sinning against God? And so this is a big, big question. To be real with you, I'm a little anxious that I got to preach this sermon because the reality is the answer is yes and no. Yes, in the regard where we see Jesus say, hey, do not worry about your life. Do not worry. Cast your anxieties onto me. We see you're not supposed to do this. But on the other regard, we see clear examples of men and women that were very anxious you look at Paul. Paul said, I was so worried about the churches that I administered to. I was nervous. I was anxious that you had stayed the course. You look at Jesus, even Jesus, in our modern definition of anxiety, even he showed anxiety. When he was in the garden, he was highly anxious and nervous about what cup was coming his way. And so you have to know that, okay, was he sinning? And we know he didn't because he was Jesus. But even in that regard, he had experienced some form of anxiety. So again, the answer, yes and no, is something we want to dig into. So if there is some sin that is from anxiety, we want to determine, well, how, how, how is that so? And then what are the sins or nonsense of anxiety? Because we all, as people, are naturally anxious. 
anxious about our work, anxious about our relationships, anxious about paychecks, anxious about the, the, the many details of life. And so where is that line? And so, again, to summarize, we can't say anxiety isn't a sin because Jesus, among other people, had it. And we can't say that it is sin because, again, we have many examples on both sides. And so how do we answer this question? To answer our question on anxiety, it lies with what we're anxious about. It, it lies with that anxiousness inside of us because anxiety is an issue of giving too much to something, too much weight, too much mind space, too much landscape in our brains where we think and are consumed with it. It's an issue of giving that too much to a point when it becomes the anxiety sin. If we give the proper weight to the proper things, then our anxiety over them is not sin. But if we give improper weight, our anxiety could be the kind that Jesus instructs us against. So again, how do we know the difference? That's the age-old question. I believe the answer to that question lies in a different set of questions. And so I want to put three questions up here that I think will be healthy for us to process if we have anxiety. The first one is, is what I'm anxious over given an unhealthy place in my life? Like, let's say you're always worrying about your job. It's a, we all worry about jobs and things we got to achieve. But is it so overly unhealthy, it is consuming? It's all you think about. Second question. Is what I'm anxious about the greatest and more, most important thing about me? Okay, we know jobs are important as we continue to use that example, but that's not the most important thing about you. That's not the most important thing about your identity and who you are. Are the things I'm anxious about becoming a God to me? Because if they're consuming our mind in an unhealthy way and they're the greatest and most important things in our mind that we think, then maybe they become a false idol. They become a false god that we just continually put more and more pressure on ourselves with. And so it's important we need, what we need is a reordering of our cares. We need God to reorder and shape the things in our mind to put them in their proper place. Because again, it's not that something is not important. It's that it's just on the wrong place on the totem pole. Yeah, it should be on there, but it shouldn't be number one or two. And we need God to direct us to put things rightly where they need to be. Uh, essentially, rightly reflecting on God will reorder our anxieties. If we look to him, if we fixate on him, if we focus on him, he will realign what is properly in the right place. I love how C.S. Lewis said it in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He said, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against God. Isn't that so true? There's nothing like anxiety that separates and barricades us from connectivity with the Father. 
And so what we're to do is we need to look to God. We need to look who he is, what he's done to help us properly reorder our cares and anxiety. We need to stay fixated on him. And that's why we're going to be reading from Psalm 77, because we see a beautiful writing, an emotional writing, a very worrisome writing from the psalmist on what they are facing in their life. And you look at the language that's used, and it expresses concern, it expresses worries, it expresses anxiety, all these things that are coming in this prayer that is being offered to God. It's a troubled heart that is being offered to God. And so we will look this morning to answer the question, how should I address my anxious heart? How do I address this? I have it. What do I do? So what do we do first? First thing we need to do is acknowledge. What we very first need to do is acknowledge our anxiety to the Lord. Not acknowledge it to a phone, not acknowledge it to Netflix. We need to acknowledge our anxiety to God. I have it. I'm facing it. I'm dealing with it. Look what it says in Psalm 77. Verse 1 through 4. It tells us in Psalm 77, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and you will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I will seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. You know, you know, when I see this, I see a person who is candid and I see a person who is raw. This is very different than maybe some images of, of our faith that we're supposed to have. If I'm supposed to be a Christian, I need to be emotionless. I need to be stoic. I need to be numb. I need to not be able to bend or have emotion because I trust God 100%. Right? Sounds good on paper. But what we see here are images of extreme distress. What's happening here is, is this person, the writer, he's hurting. He's inconsolable. Look at what it says. I cry aloud to God. My hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comforted. I moan and my spirit faints. I am so troubled I cannot speak. Have you ever been there? Have we ever had a moment like that, church? We're like, man, I, I don't even have words. I, don't, I have so many tears because I am so distressed. I'm so broken. I'm so hurt. I cry aloud. This isn't a little whimper. This is a wail. He's wailing out. He's crying out. He's distressed. He's broken. That's a lot different than just stoic and numb and, a, and almost like a robotic-like Christian. And, and what's interesting as well is we don't have anything from God saying, Really? Come on, suck it up. Come on. You, really, that again? Really? Were, were you facing this again? Like, get better. 
Come on, pull up your bootstraps, right? Like there's, there's nothing from God that says like, oh, not again, <laughs> that person. It's because God embraces what we have emotionally. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't tell us, quit crying, just deal with it. No, he's openly honest and accepting of whatever we're dealing with, whether right or wrong, whether justified or not. His arms are open, ready to hear us because we're facing something of extreme pain and confusion. Like a good father. I had an experience a couple weeks ago where... um, my wife and I, our, our bedroom's on the main floor, and our three kids are upstairs, and um, often we're here, we'll hear footsteps, and we're like, okay. And you can kind of listen closely and say, okay, that's one. Oh, that's Hannah. No, no, that's Milo. Oh, that's all three. Okay. And so in this case, we could tell, we heard all these footsteps, and here come the kids, all three of them. We're scared. We're like, okay, well, what's, what's going on? What, what's happening here? We heard something in the bathroom. Okay, all right, something in the bathroom. Let's, let's go up there and check it. And so we went up in the bathroom, and the toilet was making some weird noises. I won't lie. And so it was making this, some weird gargling and, and I realized it wasn't stopping. Like, it kept running. The water kept going. And so I said, oh, okay, okay. So I took off the lid, and you guys know me. I'm very handy. And... Um, <laughs> You know, I lifted up the the toilet seat, saw there was a clog. I reached it. No, I'm joking. Um, But I I lifted up, and I realized, okay, something's not right, but I I got it. It stopped making noise. That's all that mattered. And then I explained to the kids, hey, it was just the toilet. Like, it's okay. And we took them to their rooms. We took them in their beds. We prayed with them, and they went to sleep. You know, what happened, what didn't happen was... Oh, my goodness, why? You go to bed. Now, I might have had that thought because I'm not perfect. (laughs) But it was a job as a father and Amanda as a mother to console them, to, to guide them, to care for them, to walk them upstairs, explain to them, and to put them into bed and encourage them. And so I think about that with our anxiety with our worry, with all the things that cripple us, we need to remember that we serve a good father. We might say, oh, he doesn't want to hear it. He hears enough stuff. I don't want to burden him. He knows it anyways. Allow him to take that from you. As 1 Peter 5, 7 says, that we are to cast all our anxiety onto him. Why? Because he cares. He really cares. Like, I don't know if you've experienced a caring father. I don't know if you've ever witnessed this, but God cares for you. He actually loves you, and he's good, and he's faithful, and he's compassionate. And this image of a cast, they had these really heavy nets for fishing. And I've shared the image before, but they would hold these these nets tight, and and they would lift them, and they were extremely heavy. And what they would do is they'd use all their strength, and they'd throw them, hoping they would spread out so their cast would be far-reaching. 
And so the image here is throw it all. Heavy, dirty, smelly, you name it. Throw it all. Cast it all. How do we first face our anxiety is we acknowledge it. In a world that wants to acknowledge it simply with medication and simply uh, 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 acknowledge it with, with other means to help, some of those things aren't bad. But where we need to go first with our anxiety is God. And let him redirect it. Let him shape it. Let him prioritize it. That's the very first thing we must do. The second thing we must do is ask questions about God's nature. We are called to ask questions about God's nature. This is what it says in Psalm 77, 5 through 9. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn me forever? Never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. And so you see here that these are questions that help us get to the root of who God is. So we acknowledge going to God, and then we ask these questions so we don't forget his nature. If you look up here, there's words that help us remember. Three verbs. And the three verbs, if you look, are remember and meditate. And the final one is consider. So you consider, you meditate, you remember. Those are things of engagement. We got to remember what he's done. Sometimes we're so quick to have spiritual amnesia. Do you remember how God showed up? It's like, oh, yeah, I do remember that. I do remember how he saved my marriage. I do remember how that bill was paid at the last minute. I do remember how in the moment of my darkness, someone was used by God to speak into my life. I remember and I consider and I meditate on it. And the thing that I love as well is it tells us to do it with a diligent search. Not just like, oh yeah, that was cool. All right, let me move on. <laughs> there was diligence. It's a legal term. The psalmist did his due diligence to consider, to meditate, to remember. Remembering all the ways that God showed up. Remembering that he is a God that doesn't forget us. You know, the rhetorical nature of the questions really boil down to the consideration of God's goodness. You look at verse 7, is God going to hold me at arm's length forever? We, we know that's not our God. What, what about verse 8, has God forsaken his covenant love and promises? No, we know God never breaks a promise. Is God done being gracious and compassionate? No, that's, that's not the case. And we need to remember the soul-stabilizing truths about God. When we remember who God is, it stabilizes us and helps prioritize what should be on the level it should be 
with anxiety and worry the things of life. Um, does anyone remember the song by Rick Ansley that was huge a couple years ago? Never gonna give you up. Never gonna shut you up. Okay, so this was big, right? This was big. I actually looked it up. 1.3 billion views, okay? So a sixth or a seventh of the world has seen this song, okay? And I would have friends, they would send me, hey, Winston, check this out. And I would think it was important. And then halfway through the video, that song would come on. And it was all these memes going out and whatever. And, and so I'm thinking about Rick Ansley and uh, the Rick Roll, as they would call it. And uh, we need a Rick Roll in our heart, right? Because he will never let us down. He will never desert us. Remember, as far as east is so, from the west, so far our sins sent from us. Which makes me think, how much of our anxiety is the result of not slowing down to perceive what is real and ultimately who God is? Maybe the, the, the reason our anxiety is so high is because our time with God is so low. Maybe we just say so fixated on that thing, whatever it is. And it could be big, it could be small, but we're so fixated on it that we, can't, we, we struggle even to spend time with God. Tim Keller said, to meditate is to ask oneself questions about the truth, such as, what difference does that, this make? Am I taking this seriously? If I forget this, how will that affect me? Have I forgotten it? Am I living in light of this? So let me ask a question. What does our meditation look like? What does our devotional life look like? What does those times appear to be? I know people, some use journals and that's healthy for them so they can write down their thoughts. Some, they need to be completely isolated from noise because it's hard to concentrate. Whoever and whatever it is, we have to have time with God. We have to do that deep dive into who God is, what he has done, because we will find the stability of his nature to address our anxious hearts. Which leads to our final point, not just to ask questions of God and acknowledge our anxieties, but we have to appeal to God's character. We are, we are called to appeal to his character. This is what it says. We're going to read 10 verses. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwinds. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses, 
and Aaron. You see, what we see here is looking back to look forward. When you look at the days of the past, you can look ahead to the future. Look what he did. Look what he did to Israel. He walked them through the water. The seas were split at his name, at a staff being lifted. He didn't forget the Israelites. He didn't forget the, that, that they were being tormented and tortured by the Egyptians. He remembered them. And in that, he saved them from their deepest worry and trouble and anxiety. You know, the character of God for his children is that of a faithful father, a loving shepherd who takes his people by the hand and leads them in the moments of their deepest anxiety. Why would he not do that with you and me? And we haven't even mentioned the biggest thing yet, the cross. He took it by the cross. He nailed our anxieties and our worries to the cross. Our anxieties and our burdens, they ran red and they came with a cost and they came through the cross. And he went to that cross, he suffered, he died, laying up his life as a sacrificial sheep for you and for me. Our anxieties can go to the cross. And you name them. We got a lot of them. Some of us, we look in the mirror and we look at ourselves and there's anxiety. My body is not good enough. Sometimes we look at our coworkers and our friends and say, we are not smart enough. We're not gifted enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not, not talented enough. Some of us look at our faith and we say, I should be further along by this point. I should be way ahead. I should have broken from this sin years ago. And we just are so filled with shame. We grow anxious and guilty. Some of us, we, we live in a mode where the cross never happened because we think we have to earn it. You can't earn it. <laughs> you can't. We are only saved by the cross. And so we can go to the cross with our anxiety. We must get our eyes on the greatest work of God to rescue and secure our future. And let us not forget, as you walk through the valley of the unknown, you will find the footprints of Jesus both in front of you and beside you. He will be with you. So again, is, is anxiety a sin? Yes. But it's also not. It depends on the kind of anxiety that we have. If we give something too much weight, too much focus, too much consumption of our mind, but what we do know is we first give it to him. That's where we first take it. Let's pray. God, I want to give our anxieties to you knowing that we are to acknowledge all of it to you. 
inquire about your nature in meditation, appeal to your loving character and power displayed in Christ. Father, I know if we take these steps, we'll instruct our hearts and walk through our anxieties of being led by the good shepherd. You reach out your hand, and when we take your hand, there's peace that surpasses all understanding. And we wish that on this topic, it was just black and white, just yes or no, but we know it's not. And so let us not forget as we walk through the valleys of the unknown, we will see your footprints there because we never, ever walk alone. We love you. We pray all this in your name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.